Welcome to the playbook presented by Fan Food, a discussion around how leaders are modernizing today's customer experience through technology in sports, entertainment, and hospitality. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, and joining me today is Dwayne Hankins, Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer at the Portland Trailblazers. Dwayne, great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thanks, Rob. Can you give a quick overview on who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So uh, as you said, I'm Dwayne Hankins, uh, oversee marketing innovation at the Portland Trailblazers. Been with the team about seven and a half years now. Um, so in my role, what that means is overseeing all of the fan facing, customer facing parts of the business. So that anything from the retail piece that you come to at the arena, the game entertainment that you sense in the arena, uh, digital, social media, uh, our corporate partnership group that does all of our sponsorships, and uh, and then just lead on all the innovation uh, technology platforms that we're doing as well. So it's a it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. And in the sports world, obviously, has changed a ton over the last uh, several months and continues to change as we move forward. So there's so much that I'm excited to jam with you about. But the <clears throat> number one thing on my mind is I have to ask you about Damian Lillard and marketing around him because not only is he supremely talented on the court but he has some flow. He can spit bars. Mm -hmm. So from a marketing perspective, I'm like, wait a second, here's this multi-talented guy that seems to very much embrace his role in the community. So can you share a little bit more about what it's like marketing around Dame Lillard or sort of the tone that he sets? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Damien is, uh, he is, he is one of a kind. I've worked in sports for for almost 20 years and Damien's one of a kind when it comes to who he is. Um, not just those things that you're talking about where he's fantastic on the court, uh, highly marketable off the court, but he's just a great person, a great guy, uh, wants to do the right thing in the community, wants to do the right thing for, for himself and, and for the team. So for us, that really helps our job. The other thing that, <clears throat> that benefits us is Damien came from, from a very small school, had a chip on his shoulder, went to Weber State, came to the NBA, now is an all-NBA all player. And <clears throat> that made him sort of the supreme underdog. And for us as the Blazers, you know, being being the only team in Portland, being 500 miles away from the nearest NBA team, we often feel like an underdog ourselves. And so we're able to take that mantra up as well. So, you know, and, and that goes for CJ too. I mean, if you think about it, he went to a small school, chip on his shoulder, and our top two players are, are guys from schools most people have never heard of. And so... For us, we, we like to take advantage of that opportunity when it comes to marketing the team. And then beyond that, yeah, Damian, you know, he he's he definitely, whether it's his deal with Adidas or, or you know, his, his side career as a rapper, uh, he's been a phenomenal person for us to work with and market around. And uh, yeah, I, I just say that we're lucky to have him for sure. And if you're looking for a great podcast with Dame on it, I listened to the knuckleheads with Quentin Richardson and Darius miles. And they had Damian Lillard on and it gave great insight from a basketball perspective in terms of where he came from, because you nailed it from the school that he came from being smaller in his journey. You really appreciate who he is and what he does when you understand the backstory. And then speaking of CJ, one of the things when looking at everything that happened with the pandemic early on during March madness, when it wasn't happening, they're showing the old games and all of a sudden there's a Lehigh versus 
Duke game. And I'm pretty sure Lehigh won that game. And all of a sudden you look and CJ went off and you don't think about it at the time during March Madness when one of these players goes nuts. But all of a sudden, a few years later, when you see how incredible CJ was, and then you see that come on March Madness and you're like, well, wait a second, this makes complete sense now. Yeah, I remember I remember CJ busting my bracket pretty well that year. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how that stuff comes back around. Uh, and and he had the game that he had for sure. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Damien also just a quick story about him. You know, he was one of the, one of my first interactions with him as a player was when I had first gotten to the Blazers and we had to do a video shoot with him. And you know, there's like five or six people in the room who are doing various versions of lighting or camera operations or you know, making sure different things are happening. And Damien kind of went out of his way to just sort of introduce himself to everyone in the room. And you just don't see athletes do that. And it's, it's not, it's just who Damien is, you know, he, he really wants to get to know folks and, and he's a really great, like I said, great person sort of inside and out. And I think there's actually a great success principle in there because you don't have to be Damien Lillard to go and introduce yourself to a bunch of different people in the room. But if we think about our own habits, it's uncomfortable for most of us to do it. So it's like, well, maybe Damien just a lot more comfortable, or maybe that's one of the reasons why he is successful because he's willing to put himself out there. And when you introduce yourself to other people, all of a sudden you create new opportunities, you create new relationships. And it's really about that personalization because now you're telling us about what he did then. How many different people have a story similar to that rinse and repeat? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and it just, again, it illustrates who Damien is as a person. And, uh, and uh, you know, again, over the years of getting to know him, just can't say enough about how how much of a, of a phenomenal person he is. He, he obviously wants to win. Uh, you see that every day on the court, but off the court, he's just a, just a great, great guy. So looking at how things have gone over the last six months, obviously the NBA bubble was a big thing. I absolutely loved it. We had basketball all the time. It's like noon in Chicago and here's games. I'm like, this is phenomenal. I'm curious what you guys learned from the bubble and what you can take away from it moving forward. Yeah, there's, there's so much that we learned from the bubble. Um, where to start. So you know, for us, we're going to be starting up games here uh, in in a little over a month uh, in our own arenas, which is an exciting opportunity. Without the bubble, I don't think we could have uh, been as ready as we are right now. So in two specific areas, one being broadcast. So during the bubble, we broadcast all the games remotely from our facility in our arena. And so in doing that, uh, which is something we had never done before, we really had to get all of our systems ready, all of our software hardware upgrades down down in the um, this the arena basement, basically ready. Our broadcasters are calling the game from screens in our studio, and really really challenging situation. Uh, but we were able to pull it off. Um, we're probably going to have to do something similar, at least for the road games. And so we've learned a lot about how to broadcast those games. I don't think we're going to be traveling with the team, but we'll we'll see. Still, lots of details to get ironed out there. And then game entertainment. Our game entertainment director, Todd Bosman, he's been here for 20 years. He's done a few all-star games for the NBA. He's one of the most highly regarded sort of game entertainment directors in the league. He was asked to go down to the bubble, did not want to be away from his family for uh, that amount of time, which uh, is a good, probably a good thing uh, for, his, for his marriage. But, um, <laughs> but he, he did a lot to help them get the bubble up and running. And so just all of the things that we needed to understand about what a fanless game would look like, because you still have the video board in the, in the arena. 
you still have entertainment that you want to provide the players and you want to pump the players up. So all the sound and the videos and those things that you need to prepare and get ready. We still need to do some of those things because we've learned the players, they still want to have that atmosphere. They don't want it to sound like a quiet arena. So, you know, at first, I think when they talked about the bubble, the players were a little bit, uh, they weren't sure what to think of, you know, fake crowd noise and things like that. Turns out they really liked that. They weren't sure what to think of, you know, activating the video board. Turns out they would want that. We need to have replays on the video board because coaches still rely on those. So all those all those learnings that we had in the bubble about how games operate completely help us for, for these games here. And then as it relates to social and digital content, each team was allowed to take one person from a from a social content standpoint. So we took our, our social media manager, Amara Baptist, who is one of the best as well. And she was down in the bubble with the team and was able to get a bunch of content that, you know, we hadn't been able to really get before. Uh, so, you know, learning to do a lot with a little, I think, is the, another key learning that we'll have. Because however this all shakes out when the season starts, we know we're not going to have the same amount of access that we've had to players in the past because, you know, we want to make sure people are staying socially distant and healthy. So, uh, I, yeah, I could go on and on about all the things that we've learned in the last seven months about, about, about uh, how to get ready for games and then there's the whole part of you know how we're trying to evolve our business in a world in which we rely so heavily on you know a, a ticket-based revenue and event income so i want to dig a little bit deeper on learning to do a lot with a little because to me that's a mindset it's something that as someone who's been a bootstrapped entrepreneur i know what it's like to have limited resources limited budget and quite frankly i taught myself how to do everything that i do today and it's both one of the biggest opportunities and biggest excuses that I see out there in the market. Why is it an opportunity? Because the barrier to entry is zero. Anyone can go on YouTube or LinkedIn learning and you can teach yourself Photoshop, audio and video editing on camera. You can become your own media company for $0. On the flip side, I think one of the biggest things that I hear in the overall market when it comes to social is, you know what, Rob, we just don't have the time, the knowledge, the resources, the budget, and they use their own perceived limitations as an excuse. And one thing that I think is abundantly clear from the pandemic is those who did not invest in digital are going to be in big time trouble. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more from your mindset around learning to do a lot with a little because you guys aren't in the biggest market that's out there and you're not using that as an excuse because the Blazers have one of, if not the best social as well as fan engagement and fan bases. Well, I appreciate you saying that. First of all, thank you. It means a lot to us and our team, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's everyone could fill their day with busy work. I think that's, you know, there's no doubt everyone could say that they're busy and say that they don't have budget and all those things. And yeah, they, they ultimately are excuses. For us, um, we really try to focus on the things that matter. And, and part of that is figuring out what matters. So for us, we really lay out those goals at the beginning of the year. We don't worry about having, you know, whether it's the most fans or the most followers or sending the most posts. We want to have the most engaging content. We want fans to think about our content. We want to analyze the content that we do post and say, was that worth it? Was it not worth it? Should we do something like that again? Should we try something different? We're constantly sort of iterating on the things that we create because we don't want to waste time and we don't want to spend a ton of time being inefficient. I think efficiency is really, really key. So for us, it's, it's you know, we know we're always going to have limited resources to do things. Um, so, you know, how do we think about the world in, in that way? Um, 
when it comes to our staff, I mean, everyone can do a little bit of everything. I think it's important that our that our staff understands, especially on the digital side, you know, how to use Photoshop, like you said, how to be on camera if they need to be. Uh, you know, I think of a story a couple of years ago when we needed a host for a pre uh, pre playoff studio show, and and you know, we used Brooke Olsendam, who's our phenomenal courtside reporter, and we needed guests, and so we had Amara on our social media person, and she you know, everyone's able to just sort of step up and do what it is that they need to do. And I think that makes people, does a couple of things. One, it really creates team camaraderie, which is something that I think is really important for us to have our team feel like anyone can step in and fill in when someone someone's down and out or someone needs to go do something else or there's, you know, this game and this concert on the same night. And the second thing it does is it really helps people understand how they contribute to the whole. Um, and people love to make meaningful contributions and they just need the opportunity to do so. Um, I can go on and on about our staff, but Adam Ward, who's also in our, in our digital team, you know, he's basically re reimagined our entire YouTube channel and really rethought how our content's placed and, and doing the small things like that has meant so much for our, you know, our future YouTube content and no one asked him to do it. You know, he just stepped up and did it and uh, he's done a great job. And again, I think those are the types of things if you give people, you know, a little bit of time, to, to, again, focus on the things that are important, but then also realize the other things that they can take uh, advantage of, that they can take the initiative on. It goes a long way. There's so many things that you said that I love. So number one, you talked about how you set goals. I'm guessing there's a large majority of people listening right now that do not have a social media strategy or social media goals written down. They're just sort of flying by the seat of the pants because you know what? We can just hire an intern to go and post this stuff for us. And then number two is a lot of companies believe the act of posting is the success metric. So when you talked about, hey, we might not have the most amount of pieces of content that's out there, a lot of people use that as their metric that just says, hey, if we get it out, it's good. But I actually like what you talked about in terms of you want the most engaging content because, oh, by the way, when content's more engaging, it is going to perform better. But at the name of the game is, you do want to be building these relationships. And I think one of the big things that I take away from the last six months is personalization and community and how important it is for you to be a team league brand company where people look forward to hearing back from you again, because you meet them on their level. You're relatable, you're fun, and you're engaging. And the simplest action item that I can give for this is look at your social media marketing and see. Do you ever ask any questions? Because mm -hmm. if you don't, hmm, maybe that's one of the reasons you're not getting any engagement back. Because how would I ever engage back with your brand if you never give me that opportunity to do so? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's the I think it's one of the top rules around social media is that it's not you're not talking to you're not talking at people. You're talking to people. Uh, you're having a conversation on their level, as you said. And I think our fans, especially as I've said in Portland, we talked about this earlier, just how you know tribal the support is here in Portland and how, how, how passionate Blazers fans are about this team. You know, in a lot of ways, they feel like they own the team. And so we're just kind of the, we're kind of the information tellers. We're the, we're the Paul Revere's of the team. We're just telling you what's happening. And they're the ones that own the team. And so if we have that mindset about it, then, um, then we're just here kind of cheering along with them and, and, and keeping conversation going. And I do want to touch on one other thing you mentioned that you have staff that can do a little bit of everything. 
I believe looking forward that the key is going to be people who can be multi-tool creators like myself, video, audio, on camera, all of these different things. Because quite frankly, that's the level of expectation that our audience has for everything that we do. And no longer can you just be a writer because unfortunately, as I look at the sports media landscape, the number of companies that are laying people off that are just journalists. And I sit there and I'm like, man, that's gotta be tough when your only skill set is writing. And for me, I don't want to get backed into a corner where you say you are just a writer. No, you need to be a multifaceted creator. And oh, by the way, that's going to make you have a higher output and be more efficient because imagine your ability to shoot a live streaming video, which then gets chopped up to a video on YouTube, which the audio then becomes part of a podcast, which then you have the ability as a graphic designer to create a pull quote image that promotes all of those different things. One piece of live streaming content content can turn into 10 pieces of content. And if you're the person who knows how to do all of it, and it's not hard, it's just process and knowledge, you become incredibly valuable. And then as we look at teams, leagues, and companies, if you can have a roster full of people who are multi-talented, holy smokes, Batman, that's where the recipe for success is. Yeah, no, you said, you said it. I, I think I go. I think about my. I had a journalism degree from Iowa State that I got 18 years ago, and it is, it is so different journalism than it was, you know, 18 years ago. We were the things we were learning in journalism school compared to what what they hope hopefully they're teaching kids these days, uh, is is very different. As you said, you need to be able to do a little bit of everything. You can't just be, uh, you know, in one bucket. You have to sort of live in all buckets because content has become, it's become ubiquitous in that. Yeah, people want the written word. They also want video. They also want podcasts. They also want infographics. They also want storytelling. I mean, you have to be able to delve into all those areas. I think journalists, the most successful people in journalism are the people that that tell meaningful stories. And so that can be in a that can be in a GIF, which is nothing, you know, in terms of your time. And it can be in a three thousand page, uh, you know, three thousand word essay. It, it really could be either of those things, and then everything in between. And you know, you need to be able to understand, um, you know, in our in our business anyway, what are what fans want to hear, what they want to see, and then convert that into a into a few different uh, platforms and a few different formats that make sense for the for the fan to, to, to for them to get it how they want. We still have fans that want to read articles. And we have fans that want to watch GIFs and 10-second video clips. And we have to sort of meet fans where they are because in the real world where, where they live and the, and the consumer things that they, that they participate in, they have the full range of options. So if we're not giving them the same full range of options, then we're, we're going to fall behind. So with fans not currently in the stadiums and games eventually going to be played again, I'm curious how you guys – uh, transfer the in-game experience digitally. So you guys do a phenomenal job when someone goes to the arena, but guess what? We don't have that opportunity right now. So how can I feel some sort of way about the Blazers on game day when I'm not at the stadium or arena? Yeah. You know, I, I really think a lot of, a lot of our social media is really built around sort of being that game entertainment apparatus for for fans that aren't in the building you know I, I go back to years ago when teams were spending a lot of their time 
on their social media platforms, posting out press releases and, and, and announcements and things like that. And we had said at the time, you know, we really, we really can have a tilt here. We can have an angle that's more towards cheering on the Blazers and being about game entertainment. So I think in some ways we've done that, but in other ways, you know, it's really going to be about um, a couple of things. One, the social and digital piece <clears throat> and being able to do things that we probably weren't able to do before because fans were in the building. So whether that's unique camera angles, uh, access, which again, I don't know what that's going to look like uh, as we as we get ready for the season. But the more that we can show fan things behind the scenes, the league has offered opportunities for us to be able to do more during the broadcast on a second screen. So that second screen opportunity could could be pretty meaningful for us. We're still, you know, we're still diving into it and figuring out what that looks like. But but that's something that we can drive. And then finally, on the broadcast side, which I know is uh, only for fans in Portland here who have our RS who get get our network. But you know, because of that, not having fans, we're looking at some really interesting and creative camera angles. We're looking at ways to engage uh, fans with the team in a, in a totally different way um, to take advantage of the fact that while there are no fans here, we need to do everything we can to make people feel sort of closer to the game. From an innovation or social or content standpoint, what has your eye right now from a forward-thinking standpoint where, you, where you're auditing the landscape and you're like, you know what, I'm sort of looking at this right now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it, over the last seven months, you know, we've all learned in sports how much um, how much the, the ticket, the, the fans' ticket is, is a big chunk of our revenue. And, you know, uh, Adam Silver says this all the time, but 99% of fans of the NBA never come to an NBA game. So what are we doing to work and engage with those 99% of fans who never come to games? Those fans live all over the world. Um, they buy merchandise. They engage in our content. Um, so so I really am thinking about, and we're really thinking about as a business, how, how our business looks going forward. Um, and, you know, what does that mean for fans who can't come to games? How can we, again, how can we engage them? How can we keep them excited? Uh, I, I also think about, you know, our, our, our TV deals. Um, I worry about that. Obviously, it was a big headline this summer around TV ratings at sporting events. Um, the big stat was that ratings were down. I think the thing that gets often forgotten is that sports viewing was still up 7%. I think fans just had to pick what they wanted to watch because there was so much competition. But I am still worried about where where sports goes from here if cable companies you know people are continuing to cut their cable they're continuing to, to drop their cable they're continuing to be really interested in things that that aren't live programming because the, the netflix and the amazons of the world are creating outstanding um you know scripted content and documentaries so what are we doing to continue to to be in that space and how do we make it easier for fans to watch games uh you know, for a lot of in a lot of markets, fans only have one way to watch games, and that's by having a cable subscription. And that cable subscription then allows them to access said channel. And if you want to watch that streaming, it's like an authenticated uh, mess sometimes. So, so you know, we're competing with 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 League of Legends, for instance, which is two clicks away on Twitch, and you're you're into the league, you're watching the World Champions. So we need to make our games easier to watch. We need to make our games more ubiquitous and. I think the league, the NBA certainly is thinking about that. So that's another thing that's just on my mind. Yeah. And I think the 
evolution of fandom is going to be interesting because I'm someone who loves basketball, who loves sports. I listen and consume as much basketball content as pretty much anyone, but I don't necessarily watch Blazers games because I'm in Chicago. The only time I'm really going to see you guys is when you're on TNT, but guess what? I follow Dame and CJ. Uh, I love throwback jerseys, all of this different stuff. So I'm someone who has a positive brand affinity for the Blazers, but I'm not going to the games. How do you think about someone like myself? Because I'm probably, there's probably a lot of people like me. I listen to Jalen and Jacoby and the knuckleheads and Bill Simmons and Zach Lowe. And I love NBA TV. So like I'm all about NBA culture and NBA life. And I love the teams, including the Blazers, but where does, where does someone like me fit into your world and how can you guys benefit from it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so for us, our, you know, I'd say how, how we benefit you is we could be doing, we could probably do more to create engaging content. I think there's a platform for us where we can have content that no one else can. And how do we take advantage of that? And then how do we bring that to our fans? So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is obviously merchandise where I think, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunity for teams to do, do a better job on the merchandise front. Oftentimes we've left it to, to others and that's that's been fine but i think teams teams are starting to realize there might be more of an opportunity in merchandise than than maybe they had thought and then third is um is yeah i mean that connection with the players is huge uh and when you have players like like i said cj and dame being on one of a kind in a lot of ways like how are we taking advantage of that, those opportunities with our with our players and with our uh with our fans to get to know those players better tell those stories better I talked a little bit earlier about storytelling and how important that is there's so many stories that happen in the, in an NBA season. Uh, some some you know bigger than others, but they're all meaningful and all impactful. I go back to uh, it was actually in Chicago where Carmelo Anthony finally had one of his big breakout games against the Bulls, and his wife was uh, sitting in the crowd and said Facetime their son and uh, pointed the camera at Carmelo on the bench, and he and his son had a moment sort of over Facetime, and we caught that on social media, and it got viewed millions and millions of times. So. Those little stories are so meaningful. They bring fans closer to the team. They bring fans closer to those players. And I think us being able to make sure we capture those moments, uh, I think means a lot to our, to again, our, our fan base it means a lot to us as a business. If we can generate revenue from that sort of content and uh, it's all stuff that we can do no matter whether we not, whether or not we have fans in our building. You know, I have a talk to our staff about how we're being disrupted. I mean, the pandemic has disrupted the, the traditional sports industry. Um, we will be able to come back, you know, eventually a vaccine appears to be on the way and sports, you know, hopefully by next fall will be back to normal. Who knows? Um, but we're being disrupted right now. There's a lot of businesses that get disrupted and they never have a path back. So if we're disrupted and we know it's temporary, what are the things we can do that can strengthen the business for the long term and for later when we get these, you know, this this uh, event income, these ticket based income back? And I'll leave with this. I love how you said that because for me, what am I doing? How do I make sure I'm not getting disruptive? Because I couldn't believe sports didn't exist. So like, let's call it April 1st hits and sports is like the entire, everything that I do. And all of a sudden it no longer exists. And never at any point in my life did the thought that sports wasn't a thing ever cross my mind. And you know what I realized? I had a blind spot. I was like, wait a second. 
there's this thing that can happen that all of a sudden disrupts my entire business as crazy as that is. So you know what I decided to do? Triple down on structure and process. The things that are repeatable that I can do over and over again, they're not sexy. No one sits there and says, oh man, Rob, tell me about the structure you're building in your business. But guess what? I had to have a long-term mindset for where things are going and how I'm going to succeed and grow out of this because a lot of companies, they unfortunately are going to go out of business. Not me. I'm going to be the complete opposite because I'm going to double down on the things that I know are going to build support and foundation for everything I'm going to do moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's very similar to what we were doing in our business side as well. I think that's really smart. You, you can't, you can't, in a lot of ways, you can't give up. You can't wait for something to come back. You have to be able to be nimble and active and change your business all the time. Always be looking over your shoulder. Always be looking forward. It sounds like you're doing that. So that's great. Dwayne, loved jamming with you. I love following the Blazers, sending tons of good vibes and success your guys' way. Where can everybody connect with you? Oh, uh, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn, or I guess you can reach out to me at Twitter. Uh, Dwayne Hankins is my handle. So. Uh, feel free. And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. And there was so much goodness. I'm curious, what is one thing that you took away from this episode? You can hit up FanFood on Twitter at FanFoodOnDemand, on Instagram at FanFoodApp, or on LinkedIn. And as always, you can hit me up on all social media platforms at Rob Cressy. Mm-hmm.